I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored to me life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry. To the Lord, I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Psalm 30. We read that yesterday morning. I think it was February 6th was yesterday morning. And I was so overwhelmed with Thanksgiving. After I just recorded that last podcast from last week, I've been thinking and rethinking about just the journey that God has brought me through. And when I read that psalm yesterday morning, I was just overwhelmed with thanksgiving to my God that He has brought me out of the darkness and into this place of joy. And just, you know, as I meditate on on that psalm, and I thought, you know, oh Lord, I cried to Him for help. He healed me. He healed me. He's turned my weeping into joy. And I just was thinking about this yesterday. And I was just overwhelmed once again. Remember how I told you that God gave me the name Esther Joy? And I wrote it on my locket. And I shared with you this, that, that journey through depression. And I just thought yesterday as, as, I, as I was reading this psalm, the promise of her name would be joy. Ah, overwhelmed at the faithfulness of my God to bring a broken woman into joy. Sometimes I'm just undone by my God in my life. If you listened last time, this psalm, he restored to me life from the pit. In those days, I used to call it the pit, the pit. And yet God came to me and restored my life from the pit. He turned my mourning into dancing. He has clothed me with gladness and I will never be silent. Verse 12, I will never be silent, but I will give thanks to my God forever and ever for what he has done in my life. 
And if this podcast could be anything, would it be a platform for me just to say thank you to my God for walking with me through all the trials of life? He is just so good. When I ended last time, I actually was cut short, believe it or not. There was so much more that I had planned and that I wanted to say. And I laughed this week. I told my husband that. I told him I just had to cut it short and bring it to a conclusion. And Derek said, why? Like, I listen to a podcast that goes for three hours. But um, out of, out of uh, mercy for you all, I think I'll try to keep it around an hour, but when I was there yesterday or last week, I said there was so much more that I wanted to say. So today is really part two to last week, continuing on the same themes, continuing on some of the same stories that we were looking at as we were looking at having the kind of faith that would not be moved, that we would set our feet down on the promises of God and just stay there. And not be moved, to be bold as a lion. And remembering from Proverbs 30 that the lion turns back for nothing. That we could live with that kind of faith and with that kind of boldness and with that kind of trust in our God. Um, that's That's what this podcast is kind of part two. Continuing and continuing to look further into those ideas. Um, But before I move on, I wanted to say this because I've already talked with some people this week and I've heard from some people who the reality of depression and anxiety is still very much a current battle. And I wanted to say for a moment and I wanted to speak hope and speak life into those people who are in that darkness, in that crushing despair, that there is hope. And I just wanted to say, if you need help, if, if that is your current reality, reach out to me. For those of you who know me, you can call me anytime, day or night. Text me. You can reach me on Facebook, or you can reach me at Growing Strong at M- MV Ranch. It's all on the bottom of the podcast, but don't fight the battle of depression alone. It's just too all-consuming. And I just wanted to reach out a lifeline that if that is where you are, there is hope. So I wanted to start there, but some of the questions that I've gotten this week is how do I grow that kind of faith? We're looking at these men who exemplified faith in impossible situations where the mountains were just so huge. And sometimes we look at their lives and say, I don't know how to do that. How do I do that? I got one comment from a gentleman that said, um, I, I, just, I just don't even know what that looks like. I wish I had something to trust God with, but I don't. And so as, we, as, I, as I mold over these questions in my mind, I wanted to do this part two. And really what I wanted to do is take you back to that Biola classroom 
that I was in all those years ago where I first sat with a professor who just blew my mind because the faith that I saw in the Bible, I saw in this man's life as well. And I didn't see that before. But I looked at his life and I saw a faith that was real, like we talked about last time, a faith that he, I could sink my teeth into. And I said, I want that. I want that kind of faith. And he, he taught us and he instructed us how to get it and he lived by example. So I wanted to do that. And in order to do that, I'm going to take you exactly where he took me. Let's see. I graduated from high school in 1992, so this was 29. It was a freshman in college. This was 29 years ago um, where, when I sat in Professor Stratton's classroom. And he took us where I'm going to take you today to the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17. You see, because last time we were looking at the faith of Abraham and Noah and And we're going to pick up right where we left off last time, but we're just going to take it a step further. And the question that arises is how did Abraham have the kind of faith? See, we saw that he believed God. We saw that he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. But where did he get the kind of faith that says, I can sacrifice my son on the altar? Like, I will obey God no matter what. As a parent, there's no other act of faith like this in the Bible. There's none. And we think and we ponder, we think, how could he do that? Where did he get the kind of faith that you could say, yes? God said, Abraham, go. Go to the mountain that I will show you, and there I want you to sacrifice my son. And he says, okay. And he gets up and goes. Where does that kind of faith come from? Well, King David in 2 Samuel or in 1 Samuel 17 is going to teach us. And this is the story of um, David and Goliath. And it's the same kind of a question. We think, how did David have the kind of faith to slay a giant when every single other member of the army of Israel ran away and fled, shaking in their boots when they saw this man. He was just a boy. And all these other grown men heard the call, heard the challenge of Goliath, and they fled. Where does that kind of faith grow? He's going to show us. Look with me at, um, we're going to give some background here at at, uh, chapter 17. And he says this. Actually, Goliath says this. He says, choose a man for yourself. So if you you picture among yourselves, you you and I have all, uh, we've all seen uh, old war movies when the battle lines are drawn and the two armies are facing each other and then they charge. So this is what is happening. They're on the battlefield. There's the Philistines on one side and the Israelites on the other side. And while they're facing each other, Goliath the giant comes out and he, um, he makes these remarks. He says, choose a man for yourselves. And let him come down to me. This is in verse 8. 
Verse 9, if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines, and the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So you have this battle. The battle lines are, are, are drawn and Goliath comes out and it says he came out day after day making the same request. Send me a man. I'm going to fight. And whoever wins that one battle will be the servants of the victor. And he's doing this day after day. Meanwhile, David isn't there. He's a shepherd home with his dad. His job wasn't to go fight the giants in war. His job was to care for the sheep at home with his dad. He was a boy. So his dad said to him, his dad Jesse said, Hey, David, you know, your brothers are out fighting in this war. I want you to go check on them. Bring me a report back. I want to know how they're doing. So he kind of put together a care package in in a sense, and he sent them some food and some snacks like you would think, you know, we would even do today if we send a care package to someone. And, And he left. And as he was going out, when he got there, he heard Goliath's chant. He heard him roaring to the people of Israel, said, send me a man. Who's going to fight me? And David walks up and all the men of Israel, verse 24, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man Goliath, fled from him and were much afraid. All of them. Now, last week, we talked about the faith of Noah and Abraham. And we talked about how with Noah, God looked around and he saw there was no one around. It was just a wicked generation. And his eyes went to and fro throughout the earth, looking for someone whose heart was completely his. And he found one man, Noah. And in this story, the same type of thing, everybody's afraid. And every man runs away, but one, a boy, delivering a care package to his brothers. Not a soldier. Some of his brothers, the Bible describes as large and were big. David wasn't like that. He was just a boy delivering a package from his dad, seeing how his brothers were. But he heard the voice of Goliath and he said, who's going to take care of this guy? There was one boy who wasn't afraid and it was David. And there's that same challenge 
that we talked about last week. Will you be the one? Will you be the one that when everyone else is running scared? We talked last week that sometimes we have to trust him and do it even when we're scared. Will you be the boy who will stand up and say, who's going to deal with this guy? David says, I'll do it. I'll do it. But then we're back to our first question. Where did David get that kind of faith? He was just a shepherd. Sitting with his sheep in the fields. And yet he comes onto the scene and he's a warrior. Ready to fight the giant who every other man in Israel ran away from. Where did he get this kind of faith? The Bible's going to tell us. Look with me. Let's see. Actually, let's start in verse uh, 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? See, David just didn't see this as a challenge to the men of Israel. He said, Goliath is challenging the armies of the living God and someone needs to take care of this. And he said, if you guys won't, I will. I will do it. Look with me further in, um, in verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant, meaning David, your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And, and Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war since his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Professor Stratton read us this story. And I will never forget him teaching on it. You see, the answer to the question of, of how David got that kind of faith, how Abraham got that kind of faith, and how we get that kind of faith is simple. 
It grows. It grows in us. You see, David just didn't go out for the first time with a slingshot and slay slay a giant. He had spent years in the wilderness with the sheep. And I'm going to use my imagination and say, I bet he had been slinging a a slingshot since he was a boy. And it says here that he had had experience. It says he had slayed the lions. He had slayed the bears. But I'm going to tell you, it didn't start there. He used his slingshot. I'm going to imagine I have boys on rabbits. He'd go after the rabbits. He'd go after the birds, whatever it was. He had learned to use a slingshot. but it was preparation. And then when he's out watching the sheep and danger comes, I'm going to tell you it wasn't a lion first. It wasn't a lion first. Maybe it was a fox. Maybe it was a coyote, a wolf. I don't know. But his progression grew. So when he he went to Goliath, he had seen the faithfulness of God over and over and over again that had protected him. We can look in the Psalms and know the heart of this shepherd. David would have hours and hours out and he would meditate on the goodness of the Lord and danger would come and don't you know that he trusted in God? He would take his slingshot, but his faith was in Almighty God. And as he walked with God and the danger grew, God was stretching him. God was preparing him for the day when he would come face to face and look with me. Verse 46, then David said to Goliath the Philistine, you come to me with sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. That's the Lord of heaven's armies, the Lord of hosts and the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied this day. The Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know, may know that there is a God in Israel. That they may know. That word to know is yada. It's that we've talked about it before in the New Testament. Gnosko where we know by personal experience. Because he saved us. How do you grow this kind of faith? You start small. 
You start right where you are, no matter what it is, and you put your foot down. And you choose to not be moved. For David said, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Professor Stratton looked at us that day, and he just said, you've got to trust the Lord. In this example, we see he didn't start with a giant. He had already conquered the lion. He had already conquered the bear. And Professor Stratton looked at us and said, where are you going to start? Wherever your faith is, you start there. You go out. He challenged us. You go out of my classroom today and you find something and you set your foot down and you trust God no matter what. You stand on the promises of God. I'm telling you, I walked out that day and I thought, okay, I'm not, I'm not at a lion. No, I'm not there yet. I'm not at a bear. And I'm certainly not at a giant. God, could you give me a, a rabbit, a mouse, I don't know, a spider? I, I just, God... I just, I mold this over and over in my mind. And I says, God, would you give me a way? Show me a way to trust you. I want that kind of faith. I want the faith that I see in Professor Stratton. And I want the faith that when everyone else runs away, I would stand up and say, the battle is the Lord's and I will not run away. Give me that kind of faith. Give me that kind of faith. I mold this over in my mind over the next days, just asking God to give me circumstances with which to trust Him, that I might build my faith, that I might grow strong in my faith and be that kind of woman for God. And um, I shared, last week I shared about my story with depression. And I also shared that there were times in college that I went through very, very deep valleys. And I remember walking around campus this one day, and I was in one of those places. This was within a week of hearing and, and being in that class with Professor Stratton and, and still just mulling over these principles in my mind. And, and I was in one of these valleys. And I remember I went up to a, a Bible, a theology class, and I remember just sitting there. We were debating the ideas of Calvinism and Arminianism and these big weighty theological um, ideas. And yet I was just, I was broken inside. I couldn't think about 
Calvinism and the seven points and all of that. I was just, I was literally just at a, at a breaking point. I was just really struggling um, with some relationship issues. And, and I just felt like at any moment I was going to burst into tears as I was sitting in this class. And as I went to grab out my textbook, I realized that I didn't have my keys. Now, if you're a college student, this is going to make a lot more sense to you. Of course, it's frustrating, especially when we're already in the valley, just when a, just a simple frustrating thing comes up. But when you're at college and you lose your keys, you can't get into your dorm room. I couldn't get into my car and I couldn't eat because my keys had my card on them that I would swipe at the cafeteria and planning on going to the calf after the class and I was already undone. And when I looked in my backpack and I realized I didn't have my keys, that was a breaking point for me. I just took my stuff, put it all back in my backpack, and I just I just walked out of class. And before I even got to the stairs to go down, I just had tears running down my cheeks. I was just the simplest thing had just put me over the edge. But as I was going down the stairs, the story of David and Goliath and Professor Stratton's challenge just came back. You gotta trust him. And I went outside, right outside was the main administration building of Biola. And in front of that was just this huge, huge grass field. And I just fell down on the grass field. And I was just sobbing. But I wasn't going to let this opportunity pass me by. I felt like my faith was probably as big as a little tiny ant that was crawling on the grass in front of me. That's all that I had. But that was enough. And I prayed, God, I'm going to trust you. You know where I am. You know all of the brokenness that's already inside. And you know that just my keys, at this moment, God is just too much. Would you find them for me? I'm going to trust you to find my keys. You know, when we're looking at faith in the context of scripture and in the context of life, trusting God to find your keys is super small. I didn't care. I stood up and I put my foot down and I said, God, would you find my keys? I'm going to trust you. 
stood up, wiped myself out, looked around like, oh my goodness, who's watching? But I'm going to tell you, I didn't take more than three steps. And as I was walking, I I thought to myself, I'm going to go to the administration building. Maybe someone's turned it up at campus safety. Like, wouldn't that be a miracle? Someone had already turned them in. I could have left them anywhere. But as I was walking three steps, someone shouted, Elizabeth! Elizabeth! I looked around, and there was a guy I hadn't seen in six months. But he shouted again, Hey, Elizabeth, I've been looking all over for you. I found your keys. What? Do you see my faith grow? I had said three seconds before, God, I'm going to trust you. And though this may be as small as an ant, I'm going to set my foot down right here and I'm going to trust you. And in the minute I said that, he fulfilled his word to me. He found me. And I will never forget it because that is the beginning of my faith. And I said, I want that kind of faith. I want that kind of faith. And it started with my keys. And I have been on this journey of faith for 29 years. And he's never let me down. But he grows our faith. He grows our faith. And I'm not squashing ants anymore. I don't even know what I'm up to. But I've seen him. And this is what walking with God is all about. I have seen him. And he has been so intimate and so personal with me. That I know him. I know my God in whom I trust and he has never let me down. And if he can find my keys, I can trust him with something bigger. And over and over, for 29 years, he has led me on this journey that says, will you trust me? Will you trust me? These stories that we're reading, they're not just childhood stories. They were meant for our instruction. When we look at David's faith, we think, how did it grow? Let these stories teach you. So with these things in mind, we go back to the story of Abraham. Back to Genesis 22, where we think, how did this man have the faith to offer up his son? 
how did he do it? And the answer is because it grew. Because it grew. It says in verse 22, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and he took off. My paraphrase. But this verse starts with after these things. You see, it didn't start with Abraham, go sacrifice your son. It starts with after these things. After he's walked with God all these years. After the lion of faith. After the bear, he finally gets to Goliath. In a sense. After these things. You see, up until this point, we see that Abraham believed God. But now we're going to see God test Abraham. And this is so important. Because this is what faith is all about. How do we know that Abraham had faith? How do we know that we, he believed God? The answer is because we see him do it. It's evident by the way he responds to God's test. And this is so important to understand. Because God is not only going to call us to believe him. He will call us to obey. And obedience is the proving ground of faith. We see it in Abraham. We see it with our eyes that Abraham believed God. How? Because he was willing to sacrifice his son. Listen. The scriptures say in the book of James that even the demons, Satan himself believes in God. They do not surrender to him. They do not surrender to him. They believe him. They believe in God. But faith is proved through the testing of God. In James uh, chapter 2.22, we see this perfectly. It says, you see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. It's the proving ground. The testing of Abraham here is the proving ground. First Peter says the testing of our faith, it tests the genuineness of our faith. Is it real or not? Do you really believe God? 
He's going to test you. He's going to test you to prove the genuineness of our faith. And it's so beautiful when we can offer up those trials that are so hard and we're stretched and are turned, but we turn them into worship. And we use our obedience as worship to our God. That's what Abraham did. Let me flip back in in Genesis 22. It says, so Abraham rose early in the morning. Don't you just love that? He didn't wait. You see, if you and I wait a couple days, we're going to start playing tricks in our mind. When God says something, get up and do it. God said, I want you to go to the land of Moriah and I'm going to have you sacrifice your son. And Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took his two young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Abraham's obedience was an act of worship. And don't forget that. When everything is so hard and you choose to trust, and you choose to obey whatever God is calling you to do, though it's killing your soul. It's worship. It's worship. When you can say, I will obey you, no matter what it costs me. And the price of Abraham's obedience was his son. Abraham rose early in the morning and quickly obeyed. As soon as he got the command, he rose early and he went. May that be said of you and me. But I love this. It says, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw. We know this story. We know this is a picture of what God the Father would one day do. And he said, go to the place that I will show you. Go to Mount Moriah. Why was that so important? Because Mount Moriah is the same place where the temple was the same mountain range where he would one day sacrifice his own son, Jesus Christ. This is a picture. And Abraham walked in obedience for three days. Does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound familiar? Three days 
Nothing is an accident. God planned it three days away because it's a picture. You see, on the third day, Jesus was right, would rise again. But I'm going to tell you, in the mind of Abraham, he was dead the second he saddled his donkey. In the mind of Abraham, he obeyed when he got up and left. He was as good as dead from the time God said go. And it was the third day that God would give him back because of his obedience. Don't miss this. It was the third day. But he said, I and the boy will go over there and we will worship and we will come back. How did Abraham have that kind of faith? And I thought to myself as I was thinking about this this podcast, Abraham had three days. What was he thinking about as he walked? He could have turned back. He could have gone a day and said, no, no way, I'm going back. He was a man. You know he was thinking. You know he was mulling things over in his mind. But God gives us a glimpse. And this morning, I sometimes scripture just overwhelms me. And sometimes I just get, Carol and, and Caleb came in this morning and I said, I, I'm literally, my mind is bursting this morning with what God is doing here. He's showing me what Abraham was thinking. Look with me. Book of Hebrews. This is for our instruction and for our encouragement. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it had been said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered the fact that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Okay, so I, I, was, I was thinking about this. So I'm thinking, you know, he had three days, and what was he thinking, and what was he dwelling on? And I looked at this verse in Hebrew, and it says, he considered. Well, what does that, ver- that, that, that word mean? As Abraham was walking, he was considering something in his mind. He's thinking about something. What is he thinking about? That word considered, I wrote it down in my Bible, because I never wanted to forget this. It means to reason to a logical conclusion. So Abraham is walking three days. And all the time he's mulling over and he's reasoning in his mind 
to a logical conclusion. It means to reckon inwardly, to count up, to weigh the reasons, to consider, to take account, to weigh, and to meditate on. Abraham was reasoning, he was meditating, and he was drawing conclusions. And you want to know what conclusion he came to? He's going to raise him from the dead. If I slay my son, God will raise him from the dead. Period. Because God has said, through Isaac... All of the families of the earth will be blessed. But he'd walked with God. It was impossible. It was completely impossible for Isaac to even be born. Abraham had tried to do it another way. He had messed up. He had failed. He was even at the point, and Abraham said, God, might Ishmael just live before? Can't the promises just be made through Ishmael, God? Why do we have to make this so difficult? God said, no. Through Isaac, all of the families of earth will be blessed. Through Isaac the son of promise. It won't be a work on your own, Abraham. It will be through Isaac. And as as he walked and he thought and he considered, he came to a logical conclusion. And that conclusion was, he'll raise him from the dead. And the Bible was so sure of Abraham's faith that he said, and God did raise him from the dead, figuratively speaking, because he was as good as dead. And if God Almighty says he was as good as dead, you can guarantee that boy was as good as dead. Do you see how this works? Do you see how this fits together with David and Goliath and how God will grow our faith? But as we grow and as we believe God, our faith is going to be tested because the testing is the proving ground of faith. And in the testing, we come to know that God is faithful. Abraham considered these things. We have to change the way we think. We have to change the way we think. The battleground starts in our mind. Turn with me to the book of James. 
You see, we're going to see this testing as we get into the book of Exodus where we're reading right now. Over and over and over again, God is going to test the Israelites' faith. He's going to test them to see if they would obey him, to see if they really believed him. I'm going to say faith that isn't tested isn't faith at all. But it's through the testing of our faith, through the fire that we come forth as gold. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But that faith, that belief was tested and he came forth as gold. And we are no different from Abraham. The book of James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing, same thing, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This word, I, I was looking at this, it says, count it all joy. Some versions say, consider it pure joy. Listen to what it means. It means what goes before or in front, like a leader in battle or a governor, something that's in the forefront leading you. Or what is the leading thought in one's mind. What is the leading thought? Abraham was considering these things. And what was the forefront in his mind? What was leading his thoughts? His thoughts. He can raise them from the dead. He came to a logical conclusion. He can raise him from the dead. And we have to do the same. We have to change the way we think. Romans 12, 2 talks about this. Let me turn there real quick. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect we've got to be transformed in our minds that word is a metamorphosis it's like a caterpillar a caterpillar changing in to a butterfly it has to be completely transformed and here in the book of James count it all joy the leading forefront in your mind is that these trials that come I'm going to count it as joy what does that mean how do I count my trials as joy I looked that word up and it stunned me it comes from the word that word joy there comes from the word grace And the word grace is so beautiful. 
in its translation. It's so beautiful. It's, it's, a ta- it's talking about God extending himself forward to mankind. It says it's like he's leaning forward to give himself to mankind. Leaning forward to give himself away. I have this picture in my mind. God God says, we are saved by grace. But when I think of being saved by grace, the book of Exodus says we're saved by his outstretched arms. You see, his arms were outstretched on the cross. But we're saved by grace. He has these outstretched arms and he's leaning forward, extending himself. That's what grace is. To save us. He's offering us himself. It's his extension. Leaning forward to save us. And joy. Is simply this. Grace. Recognized. When we. Count it all joy. We're looking at our situation and we see that God has extended his arms and he's leaning forward, offering himself to us to save us. And joy is recognizing that grace. By grace, you have been saved. He's giving himself away. I can count this trial as joy. This is going to be the leading thought in my mind because he's going to do something here. And he tells us what he's going to do. When you meet trials of various kinds, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And that steadfastness must have its full work. And listen to what these words mean. Steadfastness means to remain under, to have endurance, to remain under the challenges God allots in your life. It's going to make you strong. These trials are going to make you strong. And you're going to look them in the eye and you're going to say, I slayed that lion. And I slayed that bear and now this giant is coming. Why are you able to to slay the giant? Because God has created in you a steadfastness of trusting in him. And it says, let this steadfastness have its full effect. And this is so important. Because God is producing in us this steadfastness, but it says, let it have its work. Let it do its work. We have to let it. You see, we can, we have a choice in this. Just like Abraham, he had a choice. He got up and he went, and step by step, don't you know, every step was an act of obedience when everything in him wanted to turn and run the other way. I can guarantee you there was nothing in that man who wanted to slay his son but God. 
and called him to do it. And let's not forget about Isaac here. Why isn't the end of this story that when they got to the top of the mountain, Isaac realized what Abraham was going to do and took off running? How old was this man? Isaac willingly, he knew his father had trained him well. He knew the promises of God and he laid down his life knowing full well God was able to take him back again. And so we, like Isaac, like Abraham, have a choice. Will we let the trial do its work? It's a choice. I was talking to a friend recently who's just been going through such hard times. Just agonizing times. And she says, but you know what, Elizabeth? I'm stronger. I'm stronger. I don't respond the way I used to respond. See, she's grown. And that's what God does. He doesn't start with the giant. He's going to start and he's going to ask us to obey. And as we slay each trial, and as we walk with him in that intimate partnership, we surrender to him, we walk with him in that intimate partnership, our faith grows and he calls us to further obedience. But he's creating in us that steadfastness And it says it's going to have its full effect. That means it's going to work. It's going to accomplish something. You can trust it's never doing nothing. It's never for nothing. But we have to let it. And when we let it, This is the most beautiful thing. I saw this this week when I was studying, and I just, again, sometimes I just get totally overwhelmed by Scripture because it says in the book of James that when he obeyed, Abraham became a friend of God. Wouldn't you love to be described that way? Abraham was a friend of God. But listen, Jesus says in John 15, Jesus says, you are my friends if you do as I command you. The invitation to be a friend of God is cast out to us all. Abraham was a friend of God. And I love this week in Psalm 25, 14, it says the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to him his covenant. And that word friendship there, I love this. Ah, That word friendship could also be translated intimate counsel. 
and you put them together in this way. When you're talking to a friend and you're sharing the, your deepest, darkest hurts, your deepest, darkest pains, only your closest friends are going to give you that intimate counsel. And Psalm 25, 14 says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. I want to be his friend. I want to obey him. I want my my world, my life to be proven. I want I want people to look at me like I looked at Professor Stratton and said and say there's a woman who believes God. There is a friend of God. And I want to let him no matter what comes, do that in me. I want to close just with one last thought. And this is, you know, as I shared my story of depression and and all that I went through um, all those years ago with it. One of the ways and one of the things that I did was constantly rehearse scripture in my mind. Because we have to know the promises of God in order to rehearse them in our minds. And one of the things, you know, we're reading together through the one-year Bible, and I do not have the time or ability to talk about every story. And there is so much in the story of Joseph that I'm not going to cover. But I want to encourage you to use the story of Joseph as a reminder of what God can do in the most impossible situations. Sold as a slave when he was 17 years old. Never thought he would see his family again. Went to the land of Egypt was lied about by Potiphar's daughter and ended up in a dungeon. And he was there year after year after year. And I remember when I was in my depression, Lillian and I would talk about this story often. And one of the things we would always say is you never know what God is going to do in a day. You see, Joseph didn't know. Here he was in a dungeon year after year after year. And I'm going to tell you, their jails were not like ours. This was a dungeon in the land of Egypt, the ancient land of Egypt. And he had been there for years, forgotten about, sold as a slave by his brothers. And what he didn't know one day as he woke up there is that the very next day he would be second in command in the land of Egypt. He didn't know that. And I'm going to tell you, as you walk through these trials, you have to change the way you think. And may it ever be in your mind that you never know what God is going to do in a day. And no matter how bad it is, listen, to what we can learn 
from the life, life of, of Joseph in uh, chapter 45. His brothers came to him. This is after, at the very end of the story, his brothers came to him and says, And now, uh, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me here. God sent me here before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these last two years, and there are yet five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me here. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And that's a hard reality to grasp. But I'm going to tell you, if you can reframe your mind to think in biblical ways, if you think with the Bible, no matter what comes. In James it says, there's going to be various trials. And God is saying, all of these things, no matter what comes, they're the testing of your faith. Let me put it this way. No matter what comes, it is from God. We've got to change the way we think. God sent me here. But he was doing something that was so big and so huge. And he was saving for himself the people of Israel because through them one day would come a Messiah and through that Messiah would be a kingdom. And that kingdom is made up of people like you and me who look at God and say, I will surrender. I will surrender all. And I want to walk with you in friendship. God sent me here. And I trust you. And I will obey you. Let him do his work. This morning when we, I was reading in the book of Matthew, it said at the end of time, the love of many would grow cold. Don't let that be you. Don't let your faith and your love grow cold. When I saw that, I said, God, would you keep me in the fire? Would you keep me in the fire? That I may know you the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So this is my challenge. Take an inventory of your life. Where are you? I want you to look at your life and find something like I did with those keys. It doesn't matter how small. You find something in your life and you say, I'm going to start right here and I'm going to trust God.
like I said, for me, it was laying in that grass and I saw the tiny ants and that was all it was. But I'm going to squash it and it's going to grow. And the eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the earth looking for the hearts of those who are completely his and he will strongly support them. Find something with which to trust God and do it. Your faith is going to grow. And one day you will stand with David. Stand with Abraham. The kind of faith that was tested, but the kind of faith that is greater than gold.